0: Welcome to the Real Estate Players Profile. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski of Condo Vultures. If you're listening to this podcast, that means it must be a Friday. Why? Because every Friday we do a Real Estate Players Profile where we feature someone who is involved in the real estate world who can provide some insight as to what's kind of really going on on the ground. Focus of our podcast is to try to bring straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. So for this particular week, who are we talking to? We're talking to John Aldeon. He is the CEO and owner of Aldea Homes based in Sacramento, California. John does business in California, does business in Texas, got a Florida real estate license trying to do business in Florida, and the idea of talking to John is I want to get some straight talk as to whether or not Californians really think South Florida makes a lot of sense for investment. We're hearing a lot from the media about how Californians are flocking to Miami, and I want to ask a guy who actually can and does do it whether or not it makes sense. So all that being said, let me introduce John. What's going on, John? Hey, Peter, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for carving out time. I know you're rocking and rolling. You're on a job site out there in California, and, uh, you know, you're carving out time, so much appreciated. I'll try to keep it uh, a limited amount of time.
1: No worries. My pleasure.
0: All right. John, um, some people might be listening to this podcast for the first time because I want to hear what you have to say. Let me just lay out the rules of engagement. First, we look for straight talk and salty language, i.e. cursing. It's acceptable because everyone knows the real estate world, uh, people have some, some pretty bad mouths. So feel free to if it you know, if it comes across your mind. <laughs> sure, right on. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, now, John, I want to do three 20-minute segments or so. Um, uh, first one, I want to talk a little bit about you and your, uh, your business. Second one, I want to talk a little bit about um, you know what you've been seeing going on in the market. And then third uh, segment, I want to talk about whether or not Miami actually makes sense for an investor out of California uh you know what works what doesn't work and is it bullshit all the uh the news stories that we're seeing here about californians flocking to south florida and buying up all our real estate so does that work for you sure yeah Nice, nice. John, um, a question I always like to ask everybody, just to get a little feedback about you. um, uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself. You've been in real estate since uh, 2002, so you're looking at 20 years. Uh, You are an investor. I think you do some building. You're involved in a whole variety of marketplaces, California, Texas, Florida. Uh, Can you just kind of give us a perspective who you are and and, and why you like real estate? Sure. Uh, Well, I got into real estate uh, when I
1: left the Army in 2002. So I got into lending at first and then uh, I got into sales. So I used my broker's license for that. Um, I majored in real estate when I was finishing up college. So that got me my broker's license and just kind of kicked off my career. I worked for a builder, did land acquisition for a while. And, you know, I really saw how much money was there to be made in real estate. So that kept me interested and kept me going for a long time. Um, and it got me to go off on my own, start my own brokerage, start my own investing company. And, uh, I primarily invest in single family is mostly what it comes to, um, houses and land as well. Um, you did mention that I did, you know, I do some building, not much though. A lot of it is fix and flips. The majority of it, The, the gross, the gross amount of that is, you know, buying the distressed properties, fixing them up and selling them. Got it, got um, and that's the model. That's the model that I took into Texas. And, you know, I've been trying to to work into the Florida market as well. That one's a little slower going, you know, it's distance mainly and it's getting there, but slowly.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Now, now, typically when, when, when you're looking at a house in California versus a Texas versus a Florida, just kind of big picture. What are some of the similarities in marketplace and what are some of the differences? Just generally speaking, size and and the nuance of the particular market and some of the players. Anything jump out at you just in terms of like big picture, how people can compare California to Texas to um, Florida? Uh,
1: You know, big picture, it's all about the same. Houses are houses. You know, they all got a kitchen and bathrooms and, you know, typical blue collar home is between 12 and 1500 square foot. You know, that's like cross the board. What's the difference is you're looking at medium price points. Um, Well, now in in Texas and Florida and California, if you're not in the really expensive parts of California, and the same with Florida, Mm -hmm. um, it's all kind of the same. It's all kind of leveled out. Um, What you do hear about Californians moving into other markets is kind of true. They are going out there, especially when you go into Texas and you talk to them out there, you know, the agents are constantly saying, Oh, you Californians are coming out here and bidding up prices. <laughs> so you do hear that, <laughs> you know, and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to hear it out of Miami. There's a lot of, um, a lot of tech companies looking to move into the Miami area. Um, I, I know that some are already starting to leave the San Francisco area, you know, the Silicon Valley,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're looking to relocate into that area. So, and especially companies that have to do with, um, cryptocurrency that's really starting to become popular. Um, so, I think and, we'll get to that later on though
0: okay okay and what 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 about in terms of uh workforce how uh a, any issues you have or have you uh you have any takeaways in terms of uh getting workers uh you know on your fix and flips um uh how difficult is it how how long does it typically take you to kind of um you know do a flip what do you uh you know you're in for thirty days you want to be in and out sixty days what kind of um uh you know plan do you have going in on an investment?
1: Yeah, timeline, well, it really depends on how bad the house is. It can take anywhere from maybe a couple of weeks for the little simple stuff, um, Mm -hmm. and it can take a couple of months for the really bad ones, you know, the old ones that just need to be completely gutted and redone. Uh, So that's the timeline of it. Um, Finding guys has definitely become harder. Um, I'm lucky in California. I've been working with guys for a long time um so that's easier uh, and uh they, they all are part of uh, the machine you know they've been around for a while and they're not too difficult to get a hold of it there is more scheduling that needs to be done in advance yep, yep. but you know it's not the end of the world got um, it got Texas it. is a little bit more of a challenge but you know that's just part of growing and establishing your your uh your network
0: now, now you're you're a broker in California. You're a broker in Florida, and you have a G.C. license, general contractor in um, California. Uh, can you maybe compare and contrast, let's say, the broker license in California versus Florida? Is one easier? Is one more difficult? Um, are they virtually the same? Just to kind of set the rules of engagement for the for the listener, if they're trying to like suss all this out. Yeah. So
1: the Florida one,
0: I don't have a lot
1: of detail on on um, you know, how on the hook you are for building, I can give you a better mm-hmm. comparison with Texas since I operate in Texas. Okay. Uh, so California you're under pretty strict licensing, um, guidelines, and you also on the hook for, for structural issues for 10 years, um, on a property. Whereas in Texas, A lot of the, you know, and and it's pretty hard to get a license here in California. There's a lot of testing that you have to go through, years of experience and stuff like that to become a general contractor. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In Texas, you just go and pay a fee, you know, kind of like God bless. No shit. You walk in, you pay a fee, (laughs) and you got a license, you know. Dude,
0: Um, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, but who's on the hook? Who's on the hook is the engineers, right? So they rely more on the engineers for the design and the contractors kind of like go through the work and build a house um so that's the contrast you know california so one of the reasons why a lot of people are moving california moving out of california should say is because it's just very stringent and it's like choking off the small business owner they keep adding on more and more you know criteria hoops for you to jump through i'm getting sick of you know building in california um and so that's why a lot of people are leaving they're sick of the politics you know they're sick of having to jump through hoops. Their life is just getting harder all the time. You know?
0: Yeah. And and, and so, so a lot of the business you do in California, where is it? It's in the Sacramento area or do you go throughout the state? You're going up to San Fran, Cisco, you're going down to Los Angeles, San Diego. What, uh, we, we, we're sort of your territory that you work in California? So,
1: yeah. Um, the territory is from basically the very northern border of California all the mm-hmm. way down to what's called the grapevine that's near like Bakersfield, um, south of Fresno, just to give you an idea. And then, uh, so that's from north to south. And then from east to west is from Lake Tahoe, which is the other side of the state and then down to the Bay area. So yeah, to San Francisco, stuff like that. I don't operate too much in San Francisco. It's crazy. Um, it's very competitive to the point where it doesn't even make sense. Um, but yeah, we we do kind of operate in that area.
0: Okay. And then in Texas, what uh, what areas are you, you sort of playing or um, dabbling in?
1: Texas is a Dallas-Fort Worth area. So we've got, you know, anything around that whole metro area, which is a huge area to operate in. And that's why we moved mm-hmm. into that area. There's just tons of numbers to work with.
0: Yeah. It's, now, I, I've been to Texas before a few times. Um, don't really know about the Dallas economy. Is that uh, I know Houston is oil and energy. What, kind, what what's driving the economy in in Dallas, generally speaking? Is there any kind of theme? You know, Silicon Valley's got technology, and then you have uh, Houston with um, with uh, with energy. What anything that stands out about uh, Dallas, the Dallas market for you? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So the Dallas area is like corporate headquarters of America. So you know all oh. the huge companies that have a corporate headquarters. I don't say all of them, but a, a shitload of them have, you know, their corporate headquarters there. So yeah. it's a it's a huge population base. So they have, um, you know, a pool for, for them to hire from, uh, and that's basically it. I mean, Texas or you know, the Dallas Fort Worth area is just a big flat area, just big old metro, you know, and just lots of uh, corporate headquarters there. Uh, and so, and, just a shitload of houses, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and flying time. <laughs> How long of a flight is it for you if to go from Sacramento or one of the airports in and around going into Dallas? How long does it take to fly?
1: That's not bad. Three and a half hours. So I jump on a plane, and usually I can get a direct flight. I jump on a plane, I get some work done, and we land, and I'm there. You know, not a big deal.
0: Oh, shit. That's not bad. And then uh, uh, Florida, What's the, what areas have you looked at in Florida? And more importantly, how long is the flight? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so Florida is more of a more challenge. And usually you usually have to connect somewhere, and it takes you know it takes me like a full day to travel. Um, I got a it's usually a four and a four hour leg. You know, it could be anywhere from six to eight hours of fly. Yeah, um, and I looked mainly around. Yeah, I kind of dabbled around, looking around in the, the Miami area is where I poked around the most.
0: Okay. And when you were looking around Miami, you were looking at single family, like fix and flips, or you were looking at condos, or you were just sort of getting acquainted with any and all of the above?
1: So I looked at both. And from what I've learned is Miami's kind of like a tale of two different worlds in real estate. You've got the single family, which is still really hot. Um, yep. and, and that market's very strong and healthy. And then you've got the condos, which is, you know, there's a glut of supply um yeah. and i saw that when i first met you geez i don't know how long it's been now i mean three four years ago um yep. you, you just see tons you know tons of towers going up and you're wondering like who's buying these things you know it doesn't make right. any sense um, yeah. you yeah. know so yeah and now and now it's still same thing of course i still read reports that they're still building it doesn't make any sense to me but that's what's happening out there
0: well you know it's it's funny you mentioned that we're the um, south florida especially miami-dade county is really dependent on foreign nationals uh, uh, coming in and buying condos or houses. What, what are the markets like uh, in California um, uh, where you're around, in California as well as Texas, in terms of foreign money? Is there foreign money play, play a part of the market that you're going after, or are you more so after the domestic buyer?
1: Yeah, there was. You know, there was a lot of foreign money, um, Asian, mainly Asian money, coming into, like, the Bay Area. It um, just okay. kind of makes sense because they go over, you know, they cross the pond and, you know, that's where they're buying. Um yep. but a lot of that has waned. It's back down. So the the market around San Francisco, the Bay Area, has really started to soften. Um I, I got hosed on a property out there not too long ago um because of it. You know, I think COVID has something to do with it, prices has something to do with it, um and remote work as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People, you Would know, you- they're able to leave and so well I, yeah. I recently read a report that uh it was there's been an increase year over year of people leaving San Francisco of 700%.
0: That's a giant number
1: of people leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so they're going to places like Austin, Miami, you know, other guys are going to, you know, somewhere in the middle of the U.S. You know, typically you call those flyover states. um, Because they they can work remotely and they can finally live in like Montana or wherever they wanted to live forever, you know, and – Cost of living is cheap, and they're still got pretty high salaries from the Bay Area.
0: You know, funny funny story, John. I was I was looking online today. There's a story. There's a website that's popped up, and what they do is they basically provide intel in terms of what cities are offering you in order to move there. As much as 15 grand, as well as free dirt, if you're actually willing to relocate somewhere in the United States, and because they they're trying to grow their population, because everybody's fleeing. A lot of these places are obviously like, you know, the upper uh uh Midwest and you know, cold climates, not you know, California, Texas or, or Florida. So it's kind of interesting. Um d- just in terms of population and demographic shifts that are occurring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of competition for people leaving California.
1: You know, they, they want they want the Californians to come out there for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, John, a couple, couple quick questions just about you and your background before we uh, take our first commercial break. And then on the other side of the break, we're going to get more so into your company and the lending and stuff like that. Um, so, so you were in the Army. What, um, what what can you tell us about the Army? Well, how challenging was that? Where were you based out of? What was the, uh, you know, a, a, anything you can share?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'd call my experience in the Army kind of the best and worst time of my life.
0: Uh, (laughs) bittersweet okay
1: (laughs) yeah you know i was kind of a shithead you know when i was in my younger years you know okay uh late teenager years and so i realized that hey you know all i'm doing is treading water here i need to get some discipline and take off so i joined the army and definitely got my discipline man they kick your ass you know it's like (laughs) you here so um And so I got a lot of discipline out of it. Actually, that's where I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and kind of changed my whole mentality of, you know, the way I look at money. And Uh it really, that was the start of my path of uh, getting into real estate. Um, But uh, so the Army, like I said, bittersweet. So I was stationed in Germany, and that was just like being, you know, it was a party, man. It was like being paid to be on vacation. Nice. Uh, Yeah, those are the years 1999 and 2002. So towards the end, you know, there's um, the towers got hit and it turned into just it got crazy. It got for real after that. Um, I never actually had to go off to war. My unit actually ended up leaving uh, about a year after I got out. So never saw that. But I did get the discipline out of it. Um, And then I went on to get my bachelor's degree. I used the GI Bill and got my bachelor's degree here in Sacramento at Sac State.
0: Good for you. And I'm, I'm looking at your bio. Anybody, by the way, if anybody wants to look up John, go to um, aldeahomesinc.com, and, I, and I'll provide that again, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a link from the podcast into uh, to your website. So um, you like extreme sports, hiking, mountain biking, paragliding, helicopters, racing, skydiving, scuba diving. Dude, you're not afraid of anything, are you? Ah, you know, it's
1: you gotta live life, man. What's the point of living if you're not gonna, you know, be alive and enjoy it? my perspective and my business has afforded me the you know, the opportunity to be able to diversify and do some cool stuff.
0: Yeah. 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 Love yeah. It. Um, uh, I don't know if you've been vaccinated yet. I got my first shot. I'm waiting for the second one. I got a leftover. So I'm not of age yet. Um, but I'm already planning my next, uh, my next trip. I'm looking, there's pricing going from like Miami to Tokyo, get this 525 round trip, which is insane. I don't know how many stops it is but it's, it's, it's insane. Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do after the pandemic once we get started to get back to some sort of normalcy? Uh, Uh,
1: you know, I've already been trying to have the normalcy. Um, I I haven't really liked the lockdowns. Um, I've always been looking for a way to be able to get out and live my life. I've been flying a lot more that doesn't really require going into any facilities any places. Um, you know, I've been doing more open air type of things. I have been traveling. I've been in Mexico. Um, I did go back out to Miami not too long ago. Texas, of course, still traveling there. Yeah, it's just about, you know, be careful, put on a mask, wash your hands. Um, but I don't, I'm not i am not cool with the lockdowns. I think the lockdowns do more damage than um, good. And so, well, that's we can get into the politics of all that shit later. But it's plenty of data out there. Compared to California to Florida. You know, Florida didn't yep. lockdown as much as California did. And, you know, the numbers are still high in California, even though. It's locked down by, by the regime here, you know? Yeah
0: yeah, 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 you yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, J- John, l- l- last question. Where, where, where were you born? You were born in the Sacramento Bakersfield area. Where, where were you born? No, I was, I was born in Romania. Uh, so we Romania. were in, in,
1: in Ro- Yeah. Yeah. Um and we're here because of communism. We actually we came to the US to, to get away from it. It was not an easy task. Um uh, my grandfather, he was a business owner, also a pastor in, in uh in Romania. And when communism came through they kept restricting and they kept taking things away. And it got to the point to where they were actually coming in taking property away. They would take shit. away your land, they would take away your tractors, they would take away your animals, you know. And they would say, Everybody's equal now, you know. Yeah. We're all happy because yeah. we're all equal. We don't have shit, right? And then yeah. what happens? You know, that whole utopia dream becomes smashed by, you know, by greed. You know, the politicians start to become corrupt and the people get screwed. And, you know, so there's bread lines, dude. It was, I hear ridiculous stories, you know. it's So uh, we we got into, we came to the U.S. And, uh, you know, kind of been living the American dream since then. Um, uh, but, you know, we keep hearing about, you know, our, our, our rights keep, getting smashed on and getting taken away and it's it's frustrating for for somebody you know and talk even to local cubans there when you're in miami man ask them about how it is and they'll tell you they can see the differences they can see i mean that's so similarities of
0: yeah what they had yeah.
1: experienced with communism and what we see coming into the u.s you know it's yeah. hard for most americans who have been raised here and have family roots here for a long time to 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 grasp the concept to understand what we see as somebody who had to leave a communist country. Uh, so it's really frustrating.
0: Wow. wow. Well, listen, you're making it, you know, your success. You're living the American dream and uh, kudos and congrats to you and for the service in the army. John, let's go ahead and take our first break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask John a little bit more about his company and what he's doing, whether it's building, it's uh, fix and flip and, or it's lending. So stay tuned. This is Peter Zaluski of the condo vultures podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information, uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself or my team are here to help you to get a hold of us please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, CondoVulturesRealty.com. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the Software Distressed Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to CondoVulturesRealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report. Sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distress market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Real Estate Players Profile. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. i having a conversation with John Aldea. John is the CEO and owner of Aldea Homes. If you want to look up his website, it's Aldea Homes, I-N-C. That's A-L-D-E-A, Homes, H-O-M-E-S. Inc. com. so look him up he's based in california he's doing business in texas as well as in florida john you said something very interesting at the end of the first segment you talked about how you're born in romania isn't that uh, transylvania the home of dracula isn't that uh in, in romania
1: yeah Vlad so no, transylvania is uh it's a region in romania where i was born actually. and really uh, yeah the castle's still there you can go and see the history on how this guy was gruesome so you know there wasn't really this you know i want to suck your blood type of guy but uh (laughs) he he was a ruthless ruthless guy and he really didn't pale people and you know he shed a lot of blood and that's how he got his name
0: fascinating fascinating that probably comes up every time you tell somebody you're from romania right
1: (laughs) it does it does super popular good conversation starter
0: yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey I'm, I'm a, um, I am I sort I of. like to travel a lot. I've been a lot of places and I always like to look at origins and stuff. The name Romania, um, what's the combination? And I should know this, but I don't because I've never been to Romania. Any combination actually to the Roman Empire or any of that? Or what, what, what's the origin of the name? Is there anything you might be able to share for somebody um, like me who isn't uh, as up uh, <laughs> to date as I probably uh, would like
1: to be? Right. So uh, there's nothing directly with Rome or Roman Empire or anything like that, but there is a connection with the language. Uh, the Romanian language is one of five Latin languages, Latin-based languages mm-hmm. in the world, and so Romanian is one, obviously. Um, Italian, which is another one, and that's where the yep. Roman Empire was. Then you got French, Portuguese, and Spanish. Okay.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah. So, so you you grew up speaking Romanian, obviously, until you came to the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we came to the U.S.
1: when I was one. Um, But my parents didn't speak any any English when we got to the Mm -hmm. U.S. So it was mainly a household of everybody speaking Romanian. My grandfather, he brought over, he had 10 kids. So it was like a whole clan that came to the U.S., you know. So I kind of lived within that, I would call it a bubble or something like that. You know, I just had always, Romanian was what was spoken to me as a kid. So I actually started learning English when I got to kindergarten, um, which was a little tough as a kid trying to figure it out. And then watching TV, you know. Those uh, other places I learned it, so I still speak Romanian even now with my parents. Um, That's most of it. There is a pretty big Romanian community here in Sacramento, so we have family friends that I speak with every once in a while. Um, So I still practice. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. And and what about similarities? Like, like I, I speak a little Spanish and when you get to other countries or other, you know, whether it's French or, or Portuguese or anything like that, you might be able to notice some similarities, Italian, things like that. Uh, are you also in that camp because you have the background in Romanian where uh, the Spanish can very oh. easy to
1: Oh, for sure, man. So I speak Spanish as well. You know, I, um, it's enough for me to get by. Um, yep. I it in high school and just kind of stuck this, buck Romanian. So there's a lot of, Um, like pantalones, pantalon, they're the same word. Vaca, the exact same word. Um, masa, mesa, you know, kind of the same word. So there's, there's tons of similar, it's conjugated, it's very similar. So it makes it pretty easy for me to like retain the Spanish. Interesting. Probably one of the reasons why I love going to Mexico.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, have you ever have you ever gone out to the philippines i was in the philippines uh traveling uh, in 2017 i had a lot of travel and i was in the philippines and i was surprised how many of the words i guess because of the spanish influence you know back in the day with the conquistadors and all that um how many words in the philippines are actually in spanish in some of the people their names it like blows your mind wow.
1: <laughs> well i haven't been there yet
0: but i do plan on going sometime sure i'm looking nice. forward to that nice well, I would tell you Manila looks like um, uh, uh, Dubai or Miami skyline times five. It's massive. And it, to, to go five miles, uh, probably take you an hour, hour and a half. So the traffic is absolutely wow. horrendous.
1: Wow.
0: Horrendous.
1: Sounds like a place you want to like ride a bike on or a motorcycle or something.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so John, t- tell us a little bit about your business. So it sounds like you've got um, effectively three different uh, streams or three different focuses. One is lending. You do some lending. The other one is going to be fix and flip where you buy a place, you rehab it, and then you turn around and try to flip it for a profit relatively quickly. And then the third one is probably what infill um, building. We actually buy a lot. You go in there and you build it within a neighborhood. Is, is that a general overview of kind of like, uh, you know, uh, what you do with at Aldera Homes?
1: So the lending was a past. It was a thing in the past. Um, Okay. I do some lending still. It's not not like, you know, you come to me for a mortgage and they give you a mortgage. That's not what I do. Um, That was something I did a long, long time ago. Um, Currently, the lending would be, you know, if you had um, a fix and flip to do or a good Mm -hmm. deal to do, you come to me and say, hey, I got this good deal. Um, At that time, you know, I would provide funding for it um that's the type of lending i do now and you know we might end up partnering or I just fund or there's different variations and it's just deal by deal you know the way we look at it
0: got it so, um, so it's yeah when like, it qualifies what people would say like hard money lender where it's like a year term and you know 10 percent interest rate and you're helping them like a bridge loan help somebody get from point a to point b and they're in a, you know they're jammed up money wise um it's is, is, is a situation yeah, like it. that okay yeah yeah, yeah.
1: that's you can, yeah, you can call me a hard money lender. Um, okay. It's not my main focus of business, but people come to me when they have deals, and you know we look at the deal and decide what what the best um, strategy is on that on each deal.
0: Got it. Do you do, you um, do any of that in Florida? If somebody on the listening and they say, "Oh shit, um, maybe I ought to reach out to John. Maybe I got something that makes sense." Are you open to that in the state of Florida? Yeah, yeah.
1: Any yeah, Texas you know california obviously wherever i'm operating and i'm used to looking around and understanding the properties there yeah okay
0: um now, now let's talk about some of the uh uh building you do uh would you call is it safe to say infill development where you maybe will buy a lot a vacant lot or a place where you're going to tear down a house then you're going to put up a home on that site and try to maximize uh value there and turn around and sell it is it is that or or it is that ballpark what you're doing or you want to do you want to elaborate maybe from yeah a
1: so, again, there's some more There's some more dabbling in that part, the construction part. Like I mentioned earlier, the main part, main bulk of business is buying, you know, existing homes that need work, yeah. rehab them, resell them, right? So, there is, but there is still some construction that goes on because every once in a while we come on, you know, come across a sweet deal on some land. And, yeah. um, you know, it's perfect for, for building a house, popping one up on there. Uh, so, yeah, that's a portion. And then, like I said, the, the main part just uh we market daily monthly we send out a ton of marketing um to to acquire properties that need some work it, it used to be that my focus was buying them at auction it's okay called trustee sale um, or foreclosure auction that was you yeah. know that was my bulk of the business i had people running all of doing that um but as time has gone by the amount of opportunities able to purchase at at trustee sale has really dwindled. And then on top of that, as of this year, California has changed the laws to where really, it really kicked the trustee sale investors in the nuts. Like it made it to where nobody wants to go and buy a trustee. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it used to be that you owned the property as of the day you uh, bought it at auction and now they have changed it to, you don't own it for 45 days. But you're on the hook for maintaining the property, any issues that go on, it's your fault. And within those 45 days, even that day 45, uh, somebody can come out, bid you, even by a dollar, and take that thing out from under you. So this whole time, your cash is sitting out there, you're responsible for the property, and you know in the end, you can be fucked just by somebody walking up and bidding an extra buck. You know?
0: what, so what, that's what gone away, the... and that's why we... What's the rationale? They they are afraid that they're not getting the highest and best, and therefore they're saying, okay, this is the highest and best, but let's re let's re um, renegotiate at the table. Forty five days later, that's effectively what's going on.
1: Well, from my rationale, it's got to do with uh, from what my understanding is of the rationale, it's got to do with uh, COVID okay. and all those forbearances that are out there and so you know they're thinking to keep a ton of houses from flooding onto the market you know to keep investors from going out there and scooping them up and you know putting them out um, on the market they wanted to find some way to, to dampen it you know and they didn't just dampen it they killed it man like you know everybody that i know that's been part of that business doesn't even want to touch it anymore
0: now now is that is that a temporary COVID type of situation where it's going to expire there's a there's some sort of sunset or is that, um, you know, the law of the land going forward?
1: Yeah, there's a five year sunset on it. So, you know, they'll reevaluate at that time. And I'm sure they'll look back and realize they fucked up. Um, and they'll put things kind of back somewhere. I think somewhere kind of normal to what it was before, but you never know, man. Every time California comes up with something, they just keep making life worse and worse out here. They don't make it better. Like, you know, you don't hear about like, hey, there's less restrictions, you know, let's make it better for you. <laughs> All they do is just keep adding on, you know? Let's make let's make business better. That's like not a term you hear about
0: like, hey, how can we make it worse for you?
1: You know? It's it's really frustrating no, as a business owner out here.
0: No, no, just to put to put it in Florida terms, John. Um in Florida, if somebody if somebody gets hit with a foreclosure, they go through the process, it takes nine months to a year to, to battle it out in the courts if they want to fight. Then lo and behold, it's auctioned off, and whoever's the highest bidder is, they got to effectively put down a uh, down payment, which is non-refundable, and then they have to close within a short period of time later. And when they take title, they effectively everything has been cleaned. So you get you're getting clean title at the end of a foreclosure. Um, when you're referring to a trustee sale, is that actually the same type of concept, except for the forty five days?
1: Basically the same concept. It's supposed to be trustee sales are supposed to be streamlined. It was designed for the lender to be able to, you know, take possession of the property sooner. Um, But the reality of it is than what you guys do. There is a big difference between Florida and California at the time of purchase at trustee sale. You guys just do a a deposit. I believe it's a 10% deposit Um, here in California. You got to do all cash on the spot, right? And you, you own it it's cashier's checks nobody walks around with suitcases of cash but um it does only be paid in full in full right there when you're done bidding you hand it over
0: got it got it got it that's interesting you know and like you said california is always tinkering with things my concern is is uh stuff t- tends to start in california and then it comes this way so who knows uh you know five years from now we might have that in the state of florida oh shit <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you got a lot of californians moving out there and you know texans uh they're big they have a saying in texas they say don't don't come out to texas and vote for the same shit you voted for in california you know keep texas texas is what they say which you know god bless them that's awesome what they should be doing you know that's why you're living leaving to go to another state you know you don't want to take the same shit you had you were doing here you know
0: yeah yeah yeah. now now, 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 John, talking about your fix and flip business. Um, what, what, what's the general? What's the best case scenario? You you buy a you buy a place. How many days normally within your uh, your you know your approach strategy? How many days do you have to rehab it, and uh, how quickly you put it on the market, and how long ideally are you out of the deal? Just to give people a concept, in case they're listening and they're saying, oh, shit, I might have something in Florida that's right up John's alley. So can you kind of lay out your best case scenario of, you know, how things go when they're ideal? And keeping in mind everything always takes three times as long, it costs twice as much.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, ideal, you know, time is money, so you want to turn and burn as fast as you can. Um, I would say the average project is about 90 days and you know that's average man so you could be looking at you buy something and i used to love doing this at auction especially when there was uh when there was a huge wave of foreclosure and i was buying you know newer newer built homes when sometimes you didn't need to do shit to them you know you just bought it and put it on the market so those were like a couple of weeks every great once in a while i'll still get like a newer built property where the situation was um you know it was more of a situation at the house that was distressed um, and it still get some kind of similar timeline, get in, get out a couple weeks, two, three weeks, mostly now, um, it's stuff that needs work. Um, like I said, you do a 30 day rehab, put it on the market, hopefully you priced it right. So it sells the first weekend, if not the second weekend that it's on the market and the sale process is usually another 30 days. So those are like the, you call them calling quickish, you know, 60, 60 to 90 days um but got that's it.
0: that's the timeline usually
1: I would project 90 days to get it done
0: now now I I did an interview last week with a gentleman called David DeWeck. he runs like uh, an organization called the Boca real estate investment Club and effectively what he does is he does a lot of the things that are similar to what you do his rule of thumb is if he's buying a place and, and he'll actually rent them out he's got to effectively get one percent of what the purchase price is in rent for instance $100,000 place, he needs to get a grand a month is when he needs to put it in his pocket. But when he does a deal, he needs to get somewhere in the ballpark of uh – $35,000 net for whatever property he buys in order for him to kind of pull the trigger. Do you have any kind of rule of thumb maybe that you use? Granted, uh, you know, California pricing is going to be a lot different in Florida. Texas is probably more comparable to Florida. But do you have any kind of rule of thumb what your goal is going in before you even consider a deal? So, again, if somebody's listening and they say, hey, I might have something that's perfect for John, um, so they don't waste your time. What, uh, what, what, what are you looking for? What's your rule of thumb before you decide to uh, you know, really dig deep and yeah. like, dive into a, a possible purchase?
1: Yeah, quick and easy is 10% of the resale price, right? That's what we're okay. looking for for a profit margin. You know, if it's a $400,000 house, we're looking for 40 grand in profit. Um, and, and you know, it can vary depending. Like, uh, if I mentioned, I mentioned those newer built homes. If it doesn't need a lot of work, it can be even thinner. You know, you have a lot of competition, so those yep. ones we can be like 8%. Um, you know, but usually the rule of thumb stick to about 10. Is where we are.
0: Got it, got it. Now, um, in terms of um, you have your broker's license, and I'm assuming the reason you do that is you want to at least be able to minimize the amount of expense. If you're only looking at 10% profit margin, uh, you know, and if you've got to pay in addition to that, commissions and shit like that, it's going to add up pretty quickly, and it's going to almost become a lost leader for you. So is that really how you use your broker license, or, or are you out there actually uh, hustling and selling real estate uh, on your own, taking listings, in other words?
1: No, you know, I, I don't, I don't do, I mean, I have friends and stuff that'll come to me and ask me for help, you know, buying a property or something like that, but that's yeah. usually not what I do. I'm not out there hustling sales. Um, it's absolutely, I got my broker's license to cut on commissions. So I don't have to pay a listing fee, you know, yep. I keep that in house. I've got, I've got somebody that handles it for me, but um, that cuts out, you know, two and a half percent out of the 5%. It's typically, you know, five or 6% is what you pay on commission in total. On a sale, okay. so we cut that out. That's a nice chunk. And the other reason why I got my contractor's license um, is to save again. You know, you're saving on the rehab work. You're running the job. You get discounts on materials and stuff like that. So um, those two have definitely given me a huge competitive advantage. And it's, it's yeah. kept me one of the top guys in the area, um, I believe. That's, you have to. You have to be able to keep your costs low to be competitive in the market. You know, not, you're not going to make it, especially with low inventory the way it is.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to talk to you about the next, in the next segment. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, John, generally speaking, as we wind down this, this segment, um, wh- wh- what kind of price do you want to be out? What, wh- what do you sell a place for in California, uh, factoring in your profit, everything else? What do you sell a place for in Texas? And then potentially in Florida, what do you think you'd have to sell a place for? Just take, you know, kind of give us a ballpark. I want to start to compare and contrast. Maybe some of the different marketplaces, uh, you know, in the in the in the sector that you're focusing focusing on. Yeah, sure. So
1: usually um it's very simple to find where you want to operate. Um and what you're looking for is that median price point. And the sweet spot as an investor is you wanna operate right around that median price point and below. That's where the properties turn the quickest, right? Um, you can get in, that's where the biggest, biggest pi- buyer pool is. So that's why I say we expect it to sell the first weekend we put it on the market, if not even the second weekend, but it's really, it's really easy to get them sold when you're, when you have a big buyer pool. Um, so with that said, you know, California, yeah. we try to stick around 400 and below is where it is. Texas, a lot of like 200 and below is where we really like it. We'll go up to three, but that's, you know, it, the sales start to slow down there. Um, and Miami's about the same. Um, on the outskirts of Miami
0: is the area that we're looking for. Homestead. Um, the numbers are about similar north, to Texas. Yeah, north in Palm Beach County or places like that.
1: Around there, yep.
0: Got it, got it. That's interesting. Let, uh, let me ask you, John, Two hundred grand in Texas? That sounds like a oh, fantastic. Yeah. Man, maybe I'll pack my bags and head on over to Texas. I won't try to change it at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, once you get right outside the main core area of, like, say, Dallas, um, yeah. it prices drop quick. You know, you turn it, it, it in the country and prices drop off really fast on the outside of it, it's just on the outskirts.
0: Interesting. Um, and that's where you Interesting.
1: find out with a lot of properties that may work.
0: Okay. Uh, last question this segment, and then we're going to take a break. Um, you live in California. Obviously, there's fantastic Mexican food. You're a business in Texas, which has fantastic Tex-Mex. So, what are you? Are you a Mexican food guy, or are you like Tex-Mex? And what's the difference? And and sort of lay it out for somebody who's in South Florida, where well, we don't have too much Mexican food, and we definitely don't have too much Tex-Mex, unless you consider chipotle to be one of them. So, uh, can could, could you kind of give us a culinary um, explanation?
1: Yeah, uh, you nailed it. Uh, California for sure. We love we love Mexican food. You know, it's kind of our treat. I also love steaks. So. Texas is perfect for that. When I go out, I, I get plenty of the, the same food that I like—steaks um, and Mexican food. Uh, when you go to Miami, you're right, man. You know, you don't really, you don't only really get that Mexican food, but you know, you can get some good steaks. So that's usually what I get when I'm out there.
0: Interesting. And 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 from a from a menu perspective, what's the difference between Tex-Mex and Mexican? Is it a type of ingredient they use? Is it the sour cream and the cheese? Versus going to Mexico, you don't get any of that. <laughs> At least I haven't had any of that when I've been in Mexico. I mean, what, what, what makes a Tex-Mex? Uh, can, can you translate into layman's terms? <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, from, from what I've seen, you know, just experiencing the restaurants, um, it's a lot. It's Mexican food. It's all it's all the same thing. But Tex-Mex is just hardier. You know, you get bigger meals and they add a lot more ingredients to it. And it's it's delicious. Um, that, that's what I would say the difference is between those two.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, um. We're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about Californians and does South Florida actually make sense or are all the articles that are being written about Californians fleeing the the Golden State and coming to the Sunshine State. So we're going to ask a gentleman who's an investor, he lives out there, and uh, he's going to be able to give us some great perspective. So stay tuned. This is Peter Zuliski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, and I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County, South Florida area... I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Cortez, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved. And ultimately languish on the market. So, if you're looking to deal, do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortes at 305 865 5859, 305 865 5859, or visit her website, tvrrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else it is. Do you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders? Why not advertise on the Condo Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Real Estate Players Profile. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. Having a conversation with John Aldea. John is the CEO and the owner of Aldea Homes Incorporated. Uh, Look up his website, ALDEA, which is Aldea, homes, I-N-C.com. If you look him up, uh, you get a little bit of background on him. John is somebody who does lending occasionally. He does some new construction occasionally, but really he's a fix-and-flip type of guy. So if you're out there and you maybe have some listings or you have some properties that might uh, meet John's criteria, I'd encourage you to reach out to him, and John will give us contact information at the end of this podcast. I'm also going to go ahead and link from the uh, description of the podcast. I'll link to his website as well as his LinkedIn page. So, John, now the moment of truth. I want to get into do Californians actually consider coming to Florida and what are they going to do? Because there's no Mexican food. We already, we already discussed that. But but before I do that, John, let me let, let, let me ask you the crucial question. Um, work from home. Everybody's been able to work from home. Google and others, they've given uh, some of the tech workers and some of the people in California a lot of leeway. Where they can basically live anywhere they want and still be um, working in California. Officially, all that's starting to come to an end. Uh, you know, President Biden's talking about how Fourth of July, we might be able to celebrate um, uh, uh, with each other again because of vaccinations and everything else involved with that. So that raises the question, this work-from-home concept uh, where you can live in Florida or Texas and actually work for a California company, whether or not it's actually going to stick. And I'm just wondering, what are you hearing out on the west coast of the United States in terms of that? Is this a, was this a short-term type of thing, or do you think that this is a cultural shift and people will be able to live anywhere they want and work for companies that are com- located on the other side of the of the country? What, what say you?
1: I definitely think it's here to stay. Um, It
0: was already starting to happen before
1: COVID, uh, especially out here. Um, There was plenty of people that were moving out to the Sacramento area. They would work, you know, a few days out of the week from home, and then they might spend one or two days in the office in the bay. Um, And then what COVID did, it just really accelerated it. It turned from, you know, hey, show up once or twice a week to just don't show up at all um and there's no they found that it's working very well you know there might be quarterly or monthly you know meetings or something like that but that's just a flight back you know it's not a huge deal so yeah you could definitely work um virtually somewhere else i even started doing it i'd shut my office down and now i run an empire from my house really and you know everybody else works out of their homes and um i don't see any reason to go back to the office
0: now, personally, you I love said, saving on overhead. You, now, you, you said California really likes to pile on the regulation and other things. Um, you didn't say that directly. I'm interpreting it. Um, so I'm wondering, has California come up with anything with a live-work type of permit where maybe you can take your house, have to pay them a fee, and all of a sudden you can work from home legally rather than doing it, uh, you know, being in a gray area? Has anything been discussed out that way about that concept
1: Oh, they've already been on it, man. They want their money. They've already figured that out a long time ago. You you, you still have to get a business license for your house. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you tell them that you're operating out of your home, and they're like, all right, so pay up. That's it. That's all you have to do. You have to pay them a fee so you can operate out of your house. Fucking nuts. I don't see any point wow. to it. Wow. They don't stop by. They don't stop in and check. Like, hey, I mean, that would be even worse, right? But they won't stop in and check that you're operating properly, whatever that means. They don't come to tell you that yet. But, you know? Um, yeah, that's all I want. They want their fee.
0: And and any recollection of what that fee is? But ballpark, what does the fee cost? Ballpark. Not the whole detail, but just give people an idea.
1: Yeah, it's a few hundred bucks. Three, four hundred bucks is, I think, what What? we typically say. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks, man. You're nailed like that everywhere.
0: Constantly, man. It sucks. Okay. Another compare and contrast. In the state of Florida, if you are a resident, you pay a federal income tax. And you pay no state income tax and then if you own a property that you live in you get the right to declare something called a homestead exemption and therefore your property taxes are pretty much controlled how much they can go up going forward versus people who aren't homesteading their property taxes fluctuate with the market condition so there's a sort of a subsidy that people who aren't residents uh kick into the system that locals get to sort of enjoy what's the tax in california state income tax and then, what goes on with your property taxes?
1: State income tax sucks. So, I mean, there's tax brackets, so you know that depends. Um, if you're a high okay. income earner, you can be given away close close to half. It, you know, when you add up your federal and your state taxes, you'd be you'd be paying half to uh, to, to Uncle Sam, you know, which really wow.
0: sucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as taxes, you know, on your house, they can be, which is which is now it's under threat you know that's california but there was a time when you'd buy your property um it still is right now uh you'd buy your property and you'd have your fixed tax rate right unless there was a sale or something like that that would trigger for your property to be reassessed um you'd be paying taxes on whatever it was based on that price you paid for it at whatever time so there's people that have owned their properties you know long time 30 50 years so they're still paying their tax based on that amount um which that's probably one of the cool things about California. Uh, But like I said, that's, that that might change too.
0: Now, now um, in Florida or at least in South Florida, you're looking at 2% of the value, generally speaking. So a $100,000 place, you're looking at 2%, uh, $2, $2,000 a year in property taxes. um, How does it it work out your way in terms of the percentage?
1: Yeah, generally it's about 1%, one to one and a quarter Um, So, when you're weighing out, and we'll get to this maybe a little later, but um, when you're weighing out the cost of living for your typical person that's going to want to move out uh, to Florida or Texas and, you know, get a mortgage on their property, when you add in that tax amount, because Texas is similar. It's between 1% and 3% that you're paying on property taxes, depending on where you are. Um, But when you add in that extra tax amount, you know, the savings is not that huge. Um, There is a quality of life, for sure. But it also depends on where you're leaving from. So if you're leaving like Sacramento, there's not that huge of a difference. Um, yeah. The values are not as high as the Bay Area. But when you're leaving the Bay Area, you're selling with an enormous, enormous amount of equity, especially if you bought within the last ten years. Um, you know, you're walking away from between one and two million bucks, and you know you're going out to a place like you know Miami or Texas, and um, you can definitely afford a lot more house and you know a a more luxurious house you know here you're selling the piece of shit for like a million to two and over there you're buying (laughs) a nice you know newer home you know um so it really depends on where you're leaving from and that's why uh, you know you do hear a lot of you know people leaving california and moving to texas and moving to florida and um like i mentioned earlier there's a 700 percent increase of you know people leaving the san francisco area year over year which is giant and they are targeting places like Miami. Um, tech companies are looking to locate, relocate into Miami, you know, and they're taking their employees with them. Um, so that's definitely a reality. Uh, but from here, it depends on where you are. Again, from here where I live within my friends, and my circle, and stuff like that, you know, people have talked about it. But I, I don't know anybody that's actually pulled the trigger yet. Um, no, no, friends of you, mine. You, have moved out of Texas, you, you, Miami
0: you 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 are, are in texas you you you're in florida and you're in california um what, what, can you give us maybe one or two three positives of each place and then maybe one or two or three negatives of each place just kind of laying it out apples to apples
1: yeah so one of the, one of the reasons why the people who stay in california uh there's definitely a reason why it's beautiful um where i live i live in the foothills Um, I have rivers and lakes and beautiful views. Um, we have Lake Tahoe, an hour and a half drive, you know, we go to Tahoe for the day and then same thing with San Francisco. We drive another hour and a half, you know, and we're in San Francisco, we're on the coast, you know? And so we have everything available here, you know, as far as nature goes, this place is beautiful and it's hard to beat. Um, and that's part of what keeps me, every time I come home, man, every time I come home, I'm like, man, this is beautiful. So it Um, makes it hard to want to leave this place. Um, and then plus a family, you know, that makes it even more difficult. You know, there's family that doesn't want to leave. So you don't want to leave without them. Um, and then, um, positives of Texas, man, you gotta love Texas, dude. The people there are so cool when you go to Texas. Um, and you know, there's some cool spots around Austin, you know, there's still, you got hills and you got lakes and river, river runs through it. Um, well, yeah texas is cool dude like you know they're they're awesome people and awesome government there too um positive about florida you, know, you got it's it's tropical weather dude you know you got beautiful beautiful beach down there south beach is an awesome place to hang out lots of scenery you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know florida, people in florida are cool too dude man i met you there you know we had a great time hanging out like, i got I had a good time. I have a great time when I go to Florida as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So but, that's but, why yeah. I,
1: I actually, that's why, that's why I want to operate there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and what what about, what about some negatives? I think California, you're probably going to say the state income tax, some of the taxes and some of the regulation that's in place. What, 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 what about um, a Texas versus a Florida and anything that jumps out to you in terms of uh, uh, one place that's uh, this negative or that negative, negative Tex-Mex food, for instance, <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, you know, I forgot to mention, of course, Texas and Florida don't have state tax, which is great for yes. both places. But as far as the negatives, um, you know, I'm a big outdoor guy. So for me, there's not a ton of outdoor stuff to do. And for, from what I do, I you know, I like yep. hills. Um, yep. I like topography. I like to fly. I like to be up. Um, so there's not that, which is not a huge complaint, man. If you don't care about that stuff, who cares? You know, you still got beautiful beaches awesome people, you know, gosh, I forgot to mention, you know, there's a huge Latin mix in uh, Florida, which in South Florida, uh, which I love. I love, you know, Latin people. I love the language, food, obviously. So, um, uh, negative about Texas, I would say kind of the same thing. Dallas-Fort Worth Worth is just big flat, you know, it's not very exciting, you know, going out for me because of where I'm coming from, you know, that's, that's not part of your reality or, what you like doing, again, it's probably not a big deal, you know?
0: Yeah. Now, now the people you're selling your homes to in California and in Texas, what do they do for a living? Because one of the issues we have here in South Florida is getting a job. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about technology coming here, but it always seems to be like a satellite office with like five employees, uh, if you will, and they're overseeing Latin America where all the businesses are actually down in Latin America, the Caribbean, places like that. But in terms of job creation, um, you know, they've tried, they tried to create something called Silicon Beach 20 years ago, and the new mayor of Miami is now trying to, uh, you know, get it going again, but it never actually led to anything. We have a biomedical uh, research facility called Scripps, which the the parent is out in San Diego, and they're blowing stuff up out there. Over here on the west, on the east coast of Florida, no one's even aware of them, so we don't really have the same job concentration that uh that california has but, you know not even close but i'm wondering about texas uh you know job wise in dallas you saw a lot of corporations they're they're based there so that's probably driving a lot of people who actually buy your 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 fix and flips uh would that be correct
1: right yeah yeah that's corporate headquarters over there so you know you get there, there's there's so there's a shortage of real estate everywhere so it's not difficult to sell you know there's yeah. okay. um Um, it's pretty easy to put it on the market, get sold. So if they've got a job somewhere, they're buying the house, you know, it is mainly finance buyers that come through every once in a while. You got to catch a cash buyer, but that's not typical. Got it.
0: Got it. Got it. Now, now, uh, John, we, we, we had a conversation a few weeks ago and you were talking about, um, we were talking about the moratorium, uh, both for evictions and for, um, uh, foreclosures. Can you talk a little bit about what the moratorium has meant in terms of your ability to buy uh, and invest in properties?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's been a huge impact. It's made it more difficult. I, I have to send out way more marketing and, you know, um, go through a lot more properties and try to acquire them. And one of the big things is, um, you know, if you're not paying a rent, if you're not paying your rent or if you're not paying a mortgage, what's your incentive to move? You know, I've got <laughs> landlords that want to sell properties to me and they say, I can't. I can't sell my property because my tenant doesn't want to return my calls. It says because it's, it's COVID and they don't have to move. So why would they fucking move, you know? So that's taking a, a nice big chunk of uh, properties that, you know, opportunities to that I could purchase that are gone. And then same thing with mortgages, man. I'm, so now this is starting to come to an end. So I'm really curious to see how it's going to turn out because we are about at that one year mark of the forbearance on mortgages. But they're saying the same shit. Like, why do I want to move and go start a mortgage somewhere when I'm living for free right now? You know, so I'm curious to see how that's all going to turn out. There is a lot of equity out here. So if somebody is not able to make up on those mortgage payments, um, you know, they could either sell or there's going to be some kind of workout with the lender. So I'm not expecting this huge flood um, of, of foreclosures coming out and hitting the market. I think they'll figure it out one way or another, uh, but it's, it's, it's been tough, man. Since, since the whole COVID thing started, it's, it's made it definitely more difficult. Yeah. So you so gotta go through a lot is, more properties and try to acquire them.
0: Is it safe to say that the lack of available inventory for purchase, part of it has to do with the moratorium. Is it, is that safe to say, whether it's tenants and, or uh, you know, who, who basically aren't paying rent. So why the hell would you buy it as a landlord? and or homes that were used in theory you should be able to buy, but the person's writing it out and they're hoping to refinance or sell somewhere after the moratorium. So so do you think that's directly contributing to the the lack of available product out there, you know, this shortage we keep hearing about?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I track all my marketing and how many properties I acquire, you know, compared to the amount of marketing I've sent out. And yeah, I've had to triple the amount of marketing that I've sent out and I buy about, 30% of what I was buying before, yeah. so it sucks. My marketing expense is huge, but you know, I think I'm starting to see things change. That's why I've been telling you like, Hey man, things are getting pretty crazy and busy. Um, I'm yeah. starting to see things kind of thaw out. I'm starting to see, uh, more phone calls coming in, more opportunities to view. Um, and that's only over the last couple of weeks. So it's, okay. it's encouraging. We'll see what happens.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, another thing we talked about too, was Zillow. The Zillow effect, um, um, uh, this doesn't pertain to you, but let me just throw it out there. Uh, there was just an antitrust lawsuit filed by a brokerage against Zillow claiming that um, uh, they're, they're, they're co-opting or working directly with the Realtor Association, and as a result, according to the article, um, they're not showing the, the would-be buyers or tenants, the entire marketplace. There's actually some supposedly in air quotes a, a hidden tab where the for sale by owners and the others are sort of shown. So Zillow's sort of stepping up its game and in getting involved. Some people are saying they're actually investing and they're buying properties uh from people who want to turn around and sell them. Can you talk about the Zillow effect and what impact, if any, it's having on your ability to um to, you know to buy product for fixed and oh, yeah. situations?
1: Yeah, they've been a huge pain in my ass. And that's also and this has started to become recent, so that's probably also throwing on to on top of the COVID thing, you know, now Zillow is making things more difficult, but they're not the only ones, it's also Redfin. So what they're doing is they're making direct offers to, to buyers. So they're making it to, I mean, to sellers. When, when a seller is going online, to, you know, they go to Zillow and that's what everybody wants to quote on what their property is worth. There's a button there and it says, sell my home for cash or something like that. And you click it. And then the process starts and they make an offer. And you know if it was if it was if it was a fair competing offer, it wouldn't be that big of a pain in my ass. but the problem is is Zillow and uh, I think Redfin is doing it, but Zillow actually put out an article and they said we are losing money on the houses that we buy intentionally <laughs> because we okay. have this whole ecosystem right we have this we have this ecosystem, and we make money in other places, and we just want to get the deal right We want to get the houses we can operate <laughs> so what does that do for me? It sucks right. I have to compete. You know, buyers tell me, well, I got this offer from Zillow, you know, and it's way higher than what you offered and just got to move on to the next one. And that's definitely made things more difficult for sure.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you're saying it's a lost leader where they'll actually pay, they'll actually lose money on the way in, but they feel like they're going to make it up elsewhere, whether it be uh, uh, providing a mortgage or or title work or whatever the case may be, where they can, they can regain it somewhere else down, down the line part of the vertical integration.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's an article out there, uh, the CEO was interviewed or something like that, and he, he put out the numbers. I think it's like eight or eight or, eight or $10,000 is what they lose on average per house, and then they talk about all the other stuff.
0: You can read about it. You search it up. Wow, so it's a grab for market share. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, John, uh, now the the moment of truth. Here's the question. We're hearing a lot about all these Californians who are coming to Florida. There was talk in an article written about how some broker down here in Miami took out an ad in San Francisco on a billboard saying, what the hell are you still doing in San Francisco? It's much cheaper. Come to Miami. So there's a lot of talk about Silicon Valley. Elon Musk was invited by the mayor of Miami to come and talk about building a tunnel underneath the Miami river off of Brickville Avenue. So there's this whole California, South Florida sort of connection. I will tell you somebody who's been to California a number of times and someone who's been in Miami, I think that's always jumps out at me is in California, you guys recycle in Florida. We don't. So there's like dramatic cultural types of differences, you know, People in California, if you smoke a cigarette, there's no place to throw it out because there's not an ashtray. In Miami, they throw it on the ground. They're not supposed to, but they do. So there's dramatic cultural differences. So I guess what I'm asking you is, A, are Californians going to come to Florida? And, B, do you think they'll actually stick around once they get here because there are so many dramatic differences, whether it be government control regulation versus free market, whether it's closed down the economy versus wide open? You don't need to wear a mask what uh what say you as somebody who has a you know you you know both worlds
1: yeah so you know it depends on who you are you know if you're if you're the you know god bless america love freedom and love free enterprise if you're that type of person which they are i live in california i've got friends that do the same thing right it's not full of like hippie liberals you know everybody walking around in (laughs) sandals and chicks with hairy legs and armpits you know uh but you know you got two different types of people so the liberals the sadomasochists that love the lockdowns and all that stuff yeah they're staying they're not going anywhere but there are people that are looking for a better place to live for sure and you know like you go to that's why i like doing business in texas and florida like it puts me out there i hang out with people that think differently think they're you know like-minded people um so absolutely there are people that are leaving like i told you you even mentioned elon musk i told you there's a ton of people leaving san Francisco. Um, yep. Elon Musk ended up moving to Austin. You know, Joe Rogan, he took off, I think he moved to Austin as well. There's there's a lot of people that are moving and migrating, and especially the big money, you know, when you have the big money people, it's it's an easy choice to leave, you know. No, it really depends no. on where you're leaving from. Yeah.
0: And and a fi- final question related to that. Um, there's there's just been a series of articles that have come out talking about people from Wall Street who fled uh, New York um, during the pandemic. They came down to Florida, they signed leases, they bought homes. Now they're starting to do what we call on this coast, we call it a halfback. People will leave New York or New Jersey Northeast, but come to Florida, they'll get pissed off after a while, and then they'll go halfway back and end up in North Carolina in the mountains, where it's a little bit cooler and things like that. Um, what do you think the possibility and the likelihood is of people who've come out for uh, California to South Florida, especially Miami, of them actually heading back and maybe stopping off in Texas instead of going all the way back to California. So I guess what I'm asking is, are people going to stay in South Florida, do you think, if they have come from California?
1: You know, that you bring up a really good um, point of view. And like I said, California is beautiful, and it, it's not as hot as Florida. You know, there is the summer months, but if you're leaving, summer's hot here as well. But if you're leaving the Bay Area, it's much more temperate. It's much cooler. Um, the topography is there, you probably will end up missing it. And you're. I can definitely see that. If that's happening on the East Coast, people from New York are half-backing. I can definitely yep. see that here. You know, they don't have to go all the way back to California or even to Texas. They can be going to – I've heard people going to Idaho, Utah, you know, places like that, um, which is kind of, you know, you still have all that topography and stuff and a little better weather. It's colder than winter for sure, though.
0: And, and you, could you see yourself uh, spending six months and a day in Florida to qualify for Florida residency and therefore not pay state income tax? Or are you always going to be a Californian at heart and, and physically? I've been
1: trying that. I've been trying that with my wife. I even tried Puerto Rico. Um, the, I can't get her to move. So that's why I'm just doing business. I Whatever, you know, I'll just do the business in the other states. I go there and I have a good time and I come back. You know, it, it just is what it is. So I've tried, definitely tried. This doesn't work with my other half, you know?
0: Got it, got it. John, John if somebody's listening to this and they want to reach out to you, then maybe they have a business opportunity or they want to just get to know you, whatever the case may be. Um, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah,
1: go to our website. There's the phone numbers listed there. Um, you know, it's com, And find the bio, my contact information, send email, give us a call. It all works.
0: Nice. And that is John Aldea. He's a a CEO and owner of Aldea Homes Incorporated. Uh, again, website, aldeahomesinc.com, dot com. Go ahead and reach out to John if you have any questions or if you uh, maybe have any business opportunities uh, for him. John, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and for clarifying uh, whether or not Californians actually are going to come to Florida and stay. I want to remind the listener, if you're not yet subscribed subscriber to the podcast, please go ahead and do so we you listen to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and some comments, uh, rate, more ratings and comments we get, the more likely we are to go ahead and spread our message and accomplish our mission, which is. Trying to bring straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have any comments for me or for what, or about what we're doing, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-M-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Every Wednesday during our Reporters Roundtable, where we bring together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that occurred in the last week. We discuss your comments, so please go ahead and reach out to us. So again, I'm Peter Zalewski. Thanks for listening. Hope you stay safe, you stay strong, you get inoculated, and sooner or later, we're going to get through this pandemic. Ciao, ciao. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures Podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building or th- what happened previously. For whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney, whether you are a institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of a strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you. To get a hold of me, please uh, reach out to Peter at CondoVultures.com. That's Peter at CondoVultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859.